Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 39 with Lee Hayward. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I'm really happy to have Lee Hayward with me today. It was actually Rich Frazier of SOS International, who you might remember from episode 10, who recommended that we connect, and I'm so glad that he did. Now, Lee became a Christ follower while attending a high school military academy. After college, he spent a couple of years in business management before he began pastoring, and now he's the president of Brooklink, a global organization that focuses on developing indigenous leaders around the world, and he's also the adjunct professor in practical theology at Trinity. Okay, Lee, I've given just a little introduction. Can you take a minute and tell us about yourself and your ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. Well, thank you, Brian, and it's great to be with you today. Um, Yes, we, my wife and I, um, we both originally grew up in the southern part of the United States, and uh, two weeks after we were married, my first job took me to the upper Midwest, to the state of Wisconsin, and um, we plugged into a very large church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called Elmbrook Church, and began serving there. And after a couple of years in the business management field, I was working a job, and I was invited by the senior pastor of this church to join the staff as a student ministry pastor. And so I um, did kind of a career change and went into the ministry with no formal theological training and served on the pastoral staff leading a student ministry uh, for three and a half years, at the end of which the senior pastor approached me and said, hey, uh, it's time for you to go get your formal training. And so that's when we left, and uh, I enrolled at Trinity Seminary in Chicago and uh, did my master's work there. And then we ended up, the Lord called us back to the Milwaukee area, and I planted um, a church with seven families. My wife and I, along with seven other families, we planted a church in the northwest suburbs of Milwaukee. And um, we were there for 23 years, I as a senior pastor, and saw the Lord do some great, great things. Uh, And after 23 years, began to sense the Lord enlarging my heart for the global church. And so in 2009, I stepped down from that role and uh, took over uh, and founded the organization Brooklink, which is where I've been serving for the last five years. And it's been uh, quite a journey for us. And a lot of changes and transitions in the midst of all of that, but we're really excited about what God is doing through uh, Brooklink and excited to see what's going to happen in the future, too. That's great. Now, 
Lee, we do know that there's a wide range of missionary experience. You know, thinking about missionaries, sometimes we think about people who are called to the jungle, but there are also people who are called to developed, what we might think of as developed areas, areas, and each of their lives look a little bit different. Can you share with us a little bit of how life looks like for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, my first mission trip, uh, my wife and I took our first mission trip in the summer of 1984. We led a team of high school and college students um, to Kenya, East Africa, uh, and we spent eight weeks, and we visited with a long-term veteran missionary couple who kind of took us under their wing and showed us what real missionary life was like, and especially in the remote area of northern Kenya. And um, the whole time we were there, this missionary was basically trying to recruit me to come back and do work in the desert region of regions of northern Kenya, and I kept saying to myself, this is just not who I am. It's just not what I see myself doing. Um, But what, ironically, what God did is he planted a seed in my heart through that experience um, that would would germinate many, many years later and enfold into what I'm doing today. Um, I'm not uh, a jungle missionary. I don't go to uh, I, I don't live in a remote part of the world doing missions. I live in the United States, but I travel to um, many of the developing areas of the world and many of the hardest uh, or, and most under-resourced areas of the world to train leaders today. So I think the, the beauty of that is that missions is very creative. God is very creative, and missions can look very, very differently uh, depending on where God is calling you and how he's wired you and who he's made you to be. And for me, um, it, it was not a typical journey into missions. It was more of a roundabout kind of journey for us. And um, we get to interact today with all kinds of different groups of people in many, many different and varied circumstances, uh, both remote situations as well as large, um, highly populated cities as well. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. I really do appreciate it. Now that we know you just a little bit better, Lee, can you share with us maybe a scripture or a motivational quote that's really been meaningful to you? And then share with us how that's really shaped your behavior. Well, um, you know, I think most people have probably heard this quote, and it's, it's not the quote that has inspired me. It's one that's kind of based on it. Um, we've all heard people say that God is, is not looking for your ability as much as he's looking for your availability. And um, I remember one of my mentors years ago, he said to me these words. He said, if you're invited and you're available, you go. And that's become uh, a, a favorite saying of my wife and, and, and me over the years is we, we have said to um, many, many of our partners overseas, we've said to many, many people as we've uh, entered into the ministry life and ministry as a vocation, we, we've always tried to take the position that if we're invited to go someplace, no matter where it is, we're not going to put any conditions on that. If we receive an invitation and our schedule is available for us to go and do it, then we're going to say yes. And what that has done, Brian, is it's opened up multiple doors of opportunity for us in places that I would have never, ever imagined 
years ago. Uh, and it stands today as one of the key values and principles of how we operate in our organization is that we, we always say to people, we're not going to go someplace where we're not invited. We're not going to go and just barge our way in and impose what we do if we're uninvited. We're waiting for invitations. When we receive those invitations and our schedule's available, we say we'll go. Wow, that's great. Now, as we get started, we know a little bit about the motivation behind this. I think that it's good to hear about that. As we go further, though, what I'd like to do is start hearing about a challenge, maybe a, a challenge or a failure, because we know that not if, not all the time are our lives happy and easy. You know, We can have what I refer to as the Facebook effect, where we look around and it seems like everybody's got it all together, that everything's amazing. Even as missionaries come to churches and they share about the things that they've seen, the things that they've seen God do, sometimes the, those victories and the things can be disconnected from the challenges that led up to those. Can you share with us one of those times in your life, one of those challenges or failures? Yeah, and I'm so glad you're asking the question, Brian, because uh, even in the work that we do with pastors and church leaders around the world, it's really important to keep these kinds of stories in front of people because um, no matter where you go across the world, uh, pastors in every circumstance, in every context, um, they're all dealing uh, by and large with the same kinds of issues, Uh, things like discouragement and why don't uh, things grow, or why don't we see the fruit uh, born from our efforts? And that's just that's just a real part of every ministry setting. I recall very vividly an experience uh, shortly after we had begun the church that we planted, helped to plant uh, back in 1987, 86 and 87. And one year into that work, we were seeing just enormous fruit being born uh, people were coming to Christ. This was the first church that had been planted in this particular area of our city in over 40 years. And lots and lots of new families were beginning to move into this area. And we were seeing just this great birthing of a new thing that God was doing in that particular part of the city. And, um, uh, you know, we were happily going along just uh, seeing God bearing great fruit through the efforts of um, the ministry that he'd given to us and the people that we had, had gathered with us. And about a year and a half into that work, and the only way that I can describe this is that we basically ran into a brick wall where we had what can best be described as a hostile takeover. Yeah. Um, and uh, leaders that just did not like what was happening, leaders that were uh, wanting to take power and control and move the church in a different direction. And, um, and it, it was one of the most discouraging seasons in my life. In fact, it, it became so discouraging for me that I almost left ministry. And I remember very vividly the day that the church split, and these leaders took about a half of our congregation. And as they were walking out the door, one of the leaders turned around to me and said, oh, this church will never make it without us. And I remember just uh, my heart just sank, and I felt such a sense of despair uh, when this leader said this to me. And I, I remember and recall vividly thinking to myself, what is going to happen to us? And we, they took all of our leaders, all of our teachers, all of our musicians. We were basically left 
as exiles in a foreign land, and we we weren't sure if we were going to survive. And I, I remember the next three or four months being the darkest months of my life. And I remember during that season receiving multiple calls from people around the country asking me, would I consider this opportunity? Would I consider that opportunity? And I remember vividly taking these opportunities and praying over them. My wife and I would pray and say, Lord, is, is this what you want us to do? And we wanted to leave in the worst way. We were so discouraged by what had happened. And we wanted to just leave the city and go off and, and, and uh, be no names and be anonymous for a while. And every time we would pray about these things, God would say, no, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. And it was only by the grace of God that we stayed in that role. And slowly but surely, what God began to do is he began to restore what the locust had eaten. And we began to see the unfolding of um, new opportunities and new things in our midst. And we, we slowly began the long, hard process of rebuilding this church and, you know, it was, it was remarkable because it taught me perseverance through a hard season. Um, I believe that through those experiences and because of what I learned in those, that I'm better able to speak to pastors today in circumstances that are far harder than the ones that I ever faced. But just hearing those stories, and I've heard multiple leaders tell me as they've listened to me tell my story and relate it, how much of an encouragement just hearing that story has been to them. And so you, you never know if there are pastors or leaders listening to this program to, today, and maybe you're in a hard place and you want to throw in, throw in the towel and give it up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, continue to make that a matter of prayer and seeking God, because God may want to keep you in that hard place for a season because he's got something even greater for you to do in the future. Wow. That was an amazing story. You know, as you were sharing that, it so reminded me of, of something that I remember someone sharing, and I think it was maybe Rich Frazier who shared it, that, you know, he, he, I think it was Rich, that he never wanted to send somebody to help out with church planting or to teach pastors about church planting if they hadn't been through an experience like that, where they'd seen some kind of failure. Maybe the, the church had failed, but then they had been successful later because they know exactly what to look for. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, with that, we are going to go ahead and move to the other end of the spectrum, because just as we all have challenges, there are also those times when God really reveals something to us. Maybe it's a moment of revelation where it seems like the skies part and God just shows us something immediately. But there are other times when maybe revelation walks out over time. I don't want to prescribe to you which kind to share. I'm just wondering, can you share with us one of those times when God showed you something and then share with us what you did to take what God was showing with you and to start running with it? Yeah, there, there was an experience that I had. I, I believe it was about 2005, Brian, and um, I was still pastoring the church uh, that we were a part of. And uh, at that time, I was taking one or two trips a year to go and visit uh, some of the people that our church were was supporting. And I happened to be in Nigeria, in the central plateau state of Nigeria, visiting a Nigerian uh, friend of mine. We actually went to seminary together, and he was now the provost of a fairly large seminary in the central region of Nigeria. And 
I remember getting there, and the first day that I was there, he took me over to this this very small, dilapidated building. Uh, the door was barely on its hinges, and he opened the door slowly, and the door almost fell off when he opened it up. And inside of this this building was a generator, and the generator um, was incredibly old. And I turned to my friend and I said, how old is this generator? And he said, well, it was, it was put here in 1940 and it was spewing diesel fuel all over the place. And it was just kind of chugging along. And, and he said, this, this is how we power our entire seminary with electricity. And I, I stood there in amazement, listening to him describe and watching this, this dilapidated old generator and it was in that moment um, that, that I just heard this, and, and all I can describe it as was this whisper of the Spirit, I believe now, this whisper. And, and the whisper was this. This was the voice that I heard in that moment. You can do something about this. <laughs> and and I, I remember going back to my guest house that night, and these words were just ringing in my ear. You can do something about this. And it, and it wasn't, I don't believe that it was so much that I'm supposed to do something about the electricity problem, although that, in, in, in fact, is, is what happened. I think it was even much larger than that. I think it became almost a metaphor for me of this new season that God, this new dream and this new vision that God was beginning to birth in my own heart that as I had been traveling and seeing the needs of leaders and, and pastors uh, in hard places around the world, it was almost as if this little scene and scenario was representative of something much bigger that God was calling me to. He was asking me to step into a role where I could begin to address the, the resource issue the, in, in under-resourced places. And it wasn't just about providing generators. It, it was also that entire week teaching leaders and hearing the hunger and the longing that these leaders were expressing to me for training and resourcing theologically and in practical theology and how to lead their churches and how to grow their churches and how to evangelize their communities. And so that, that whole week that I was in Nigeria became uh, kind of a defining moment for me. And it became the, the springboard and the genesis of what I'm doing today. Uh, because it, and it's, it, it functions more or less like a metaphor for what happened and what continues to happen today. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Lee, we're going to go ahead and move to the present day. We've heard a little bit about success, a little bit about some struggles. Now it's time for us to hear what's going on in your ministry right now. Maybe something that's really interesting and exciting to you right now, or maybe something that you think you see coming in the future. There are so many things that that are on my heart today just because of the experiences that we've been involved with the past five years, especially, and interacting more and more with um, leaders in hard places and hearing their personal stories. There are a couple of things that stand out to me. One is I continue to be impressed with um, uh, Philip Jenkins talks about this in his book, The, the Changing Face of Christianity, where, or The New Face of Christianity, where he says that the center of gravity has shifted 
um, mm. primarily to the global south. And as we have been traveling in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and uh, tapping into networks of leaders in th- this part of the world, um, we we are just having the privilege and the joy and the opportunity to meet so many compelling men and women across the world. And one of the things that I think impresses me most about them is that many of these people come, come out of uh, situations and circumstances where they have suffered enormously for their faith. They're enormously courageous people. They are people of uh, deep passion for Christ and deep passion for the kingdom. And it's what makes my job so lovable is I have the opportunity regularly to talk with these kinds of people and to listen to their stories. And as I listen, I'm inspired hearing their story. They tell me, well, you inspire us, but I am more inspired than any inspiration I could ever bring to them. So that's one of the things that I see. I think the other thing that um, has really impressed me about many of these leaders is a number of years ago, we, we shifted the focus of our organization uh, toward uh, trying to connect with what we call movement leaders. These are men and women who have a breadth of influence um, across a region of their country or they have influence over uh, per, perhaps denominational leaders their influence is wide, it's long, and it's deep. And as, as we've watched the trends in the world and as we see the need to continue to evangelize the world, we realize that we're a small organization. Um, we're never going to be able to do everything. So let's try and do what we do. Let's make sure that we do that well. And the best way that we can do that is to connect and to pour into movement leaders. Because if you can do that, then you have what is called the multiplier effect. You're actually investing in people who can take the things that they've learned from you, and they can spread it at a much broader, wider, and deeper level, and with much greater influence than our organization could have ever thought about doing. And so strategically and philosophically, we've kind of shifted our focus to look for those places where we can really dial in with movement leaders and try and build relationships with those leaders and uh, seek to access their networks so that we can take the training that we do, give it to them, and then release them to take it to their network and do what they do best in their own context and in their own culture. Wow. That, that is an amazing transition. Now, as we move on, we do know that not everyone is called to vocational full-time ministry. In fact, our audience is primarily made up of people who live in the U.S. or in North America and who are called into the marketplace. They do care about missions, but don't necessarily feel called to missions. What would you say to someone who is called to the marketplace and is starting to wonder if what they're doing in business really matters for the kingdom? Yeah, this is a great question, Brian, and I'm, I'm so glad you're asking it because I, I, I do think that in many sectors of the church today, we still have this secular, uh, sacred uh, sort of dichotomy, and there, there's just no evidence of that in the scriptures whatsoever. 
Uh, and I'm glad you're asking the question and raising the issue because I think that for people that are in the marketplace, men and women who are serving in areas of government or serving in the areas of education, serving in the areas of medicine and law and um, productivity and management and um, and in all of these various sectors of a country's economy, it, it's easy for people to feel like that if they're just, you know, sort of designing and producing widgets, then what they're doing really doesn't make any difference. And the reality is, and, and this is what I love about the scriptures, is that the scriptures teach us that God's kingdom is everywhere, and it's not confined to the walls of a church. It's not confined to a particular mission field, that God wants to bring his kingdom to bear on every sector of society, which means that we need people in the marketplace. I'm also reminded of the Apostle Paul, and I love this model in Acts chapter 17. When Paul was in the city of Athens, Paul was very intentional about walking around that city And he was deeply moved by the idols, the idolatry that characterized the city of Athens during the first century. And and he was so struck by that that Paul did not become discouraged about it. He did not become disheartened. Rather, what it did is is it motivated and catalyzed the Apostle Paul to go to the most strategic parts of the city. So he went to the educational institutions, and he went to the marketplace, the agora. And he went to the, to the schools and the universities, and he began to debate with the brightest people in the city. And what, it, what, what that models for me, and I think that it's, it's a model that we see repeated in the New Testament, is that God's concerned about every part of society, and he's concerned about all people. And whether those people are in the marketplace, whether they're in some remote village in the far reaches of a foreign country, whether they're next door to us, whether they're in the inner city slums, whether they're in high-rise apartment buildings and business offices, God's concern is for people. And so we need people in every sector of society um, living out their kingdom-focused life for the glory of God and, and seeking to invest their energies, whatever they're doing. If they're lawyering, investing their lawyering abilities in helping human beings flourish. If they're doctors, investing their medical training and their expertise in helping people to flourish. If they're accountants or business people or factory workers, it's building the best product that you possibly can build as a kingdom-focused person so that people's lives will flourish. And in those ways, we are given evidence of the kingdom. Wow, that's such a powerful reminder that God's focus is really on the people. I appreciate you bringing that up and even then building on it. Now, I'm sure that there are some people listening who are already supporting missionaries financially or in prayer, but they really want to do more. If they really want it to level up their game, what's one thing they could do to further encourage or support a missionary? the, the picture that comes to mind, Brian, is, is, the, is the picture of yeah. um, a signpost. And um, that, that what God does is he births something in our hearts. He births a kingdom ethic in our hearts. And we become like many signposts that dot the landscape of wherever we happen to live. And we're pointing people to the reality of who Christ is 
and the reality of his kingdom amongst us and in our midst. I like that visual. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Now, I'm sure that there are people listening who are connected to missionaries and they do support them, but now they're looking for ways to level up their game, to increase what they're doing to further support or encourage missionaries. What would you suggest they do? Well, you know, there are lots of um, people that are far more educated than I that have done massive amounts of study on this. But one of the realities, especially here in the United States, is that um, the experts in the field continue to tell us that the world is coming to our doorstep. And I, I think that if, if you happen to be in the marketplace, but you, you have uh, a missions mindset and a missions heart, one of the best ways for you to step up your game, as you say, is simply to look around you, uh, to keep your eyes peeled and open to international students, international people moving into your neighborhood, people who are different from you, who come from a different ethnic background, people who maybe have a different accent than you do, and, and taking the opportunity to go and start friendships with them and, and build upon those friendships and have them into your home and listen to their stories. Um, my wife and I have done this over the years, and we have found this to be one of the most enriching experiences of our lives. We're surrounded by international friends all over the world. And it all began just by taking the risk to step across our ethnic divide or step across our language divide or step across our cultural divide and say, you know, I'm going to go reach out to somebody who's completely different from me and who comes from a completely different background and context from me, and I'm going to seek to learn about their culture and context and seek to enter into their world. This is a phenomenal way to step up your game in terms of missions. And ultimately, what those kinds of connections do is they lead to on-ramps for you to have discussions about the gospel. Right. Well, that was great, and thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a chance to touch on that a little bit further in, into the interview. But before we get there, I would like to go ahead and transition to the speed round. This is where I get to ask you a series of questions, and you come back at us with your amazing answers. Sounds great, Brian. So what's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? Well, one of the things that um, has been uh, quite a steep learning curve for me is, you know, as a pastor— um, you, you, you know that you have to give leadership to a congregation, but you also, as a pastor, you, you have to be able to raise the necessary capital to be able to do ministry. And, uh, and so one of the skills that I learned in pastoral ministry is that you have to raise money to build buildings and to fund programs and to, you know, to be able to minister in the community that you're a part of. Uh, and one of the nice built-in realities for pastors is that every week you get to make an appeal uh, to your base of donors about the needs of the ministry. And, um, and, and I, I found that to be fairly, fairly, uh, uh, it was part of our rhythm and it was fairly predictable. When I entered into the world of starting a nonprofit mission organization like I run today, um, all the rules in the game changed dramatically, and I found out real quickly that when you're 
day-to-day well-being is dependent on the money that you raise to fund the things that you're doing, you've got to take a different approach uh, toward um, raising money and uh, raising friends and this kind of thing. And so this was one of the things that was a big learning curve for me. But but here's the irony that um, that I think about when I think about uh, what I've learned in running a nonprofit organization is I found out that I really enjoy this part of running the organization because it puts me in touch with people and I'm able to tell our stories and I'm able to give our vision and I'm able to build the organization from a relational base. And that's been particularly meaningful uh, and, and really uh, quite a bit of joy in that part of the work that we do. That's good. Now, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, I think that um, I remember a good friend of mine saying to me years ago, and this has served us well um, in the ministry uh, today, and that is, um, he said to me one day, he says, knock on doors, walk through the doors that have opened for you, but don't kick any doors down. Uh, and and that's that's really that's been uh, a great piece, piece of advice for us um, is go and and tell your story, knock on the door, uh, see if someone opens the door for you, and if they open the door, walk through it. But if they don't, if the door stays shut, don't don't start to kick it down because usually it's going to frustrate you. And usually when you kick a door down, it's not real pleasant what you find on the other side. So we, we just decided, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Can you share one of your personal habits that you strongly believe contributes to the success that you've seen? Well, um, I, I think that probably the most important uh, habit that I try and, and subscribe to every day is... Um, I try and put my nose in the book before I put my my head on my bed. <laughs> Do you have an internet resource that you use and could share with our listeners? Yeah, I found uh, Google Calendar to be very helpful. Um, we uh, have also used Dropbox quite a bit. Um, we share a lot of files through Dropbox and make that available to mm-hmm. people. Uh, we also have a website for our ministry called www.brooklink.org. And um, we invite people to go there. There's a new number of resources that uh, are featured on our website. And uh, we would invite any of your listeners to visit us and to sign up for our updates and follow us on, on Facebook as well. Brooklink has a Facebook page that we use. And uh, it's a way for us to get the word out about what we're doing. Good. Do you have a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? One of the most uh, critical books that I've read in the past five years is The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. Okay. And, and for those who are listening, all of these resources will be linked up for you in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Lee Hayward. And Hayward is H-E-Y-W-A-R-D. So we'll have all that information there for you. If you're driving to work or you're working out right now and you can't write it down, just stop by there. We'll have all that available for you. Now, we are going to go a little bit deeper. We have just a couple minutes left in our time, but I do want to focus a little bit on some ministry advice from you, because this is our chance to learn from your experience. Uh, 
So we talked, you talked earlier about starting to look around and realize that maybe some of your neighbors and coworkers aren't from this culture and that, that that was a way that you could level up your game. And you also had a suggestion for some, some ways that we could do that. Could you build on that a little bit more with us and help us understand how we can go from starting a relationship to beginning to share the gospel with people? I had an experience um, not too long ago, Brian. I was uh, preaching in a church, and it was a rather large church. And after I finished the sermon that morning, there was a young couple that came down to the front to meet me. And um, they said to me, Lee, we brought a man who lives in our neighborhood to church this morning, and he's a Muslim, and he wants to talk to you. And so um, the man came up, I introduced myself to him, we went over into the corner and sat down and I began to talk with him and he began to share with me some very personal issues. Turns out that he was very involved in the local mosque, but he found coming to this church and hearing the Bible preached the way that it was being preached, that it really intrigued him and he wanted to hear more. And uh, so I invited him to come back the following week where I was going to be preaching in this church again. Well, it turns out that this same man is in the same neighborhood with some good friends of ours. And a few weeks after these two Sundays that I had interacted with him, they had the opportunity to meet, meet him. And um, one of the beautiful things that happened as a result of this is this woman, who's a friend of mine, met this gentleman, and she and her husband invited him to a luncheon one day and invited me along with several other people to come. And we came together, and he joined us, and we had the best time talking with this Muslim gentleman. And because of of this small dinner gathering, this man is now requesting to meet with me on a regular basis. And sometimes I think that it, it takes stepping out of your comfort zone and being willing to dare and do something different and even to open your home up and invite people that are completely different from you, even a different perspective from you, even a different belief system from you into those homes. And as a result of that dinner party that day, uh, we were able to share our own person, three or four of us were able to share our own personal testimonies with this gentleman. Oh, that's great. Now, our time is just about up, Lee, but I would like to ask you one last question before we go, if that's okay. Yes. Can you share with us just one last piece of advice, something that if you had just the opportunity to share one thing with people as far as advice that you would share, and then share with us the best way to connect, then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Um, I, I would say keep your eyes open. Um, to your context and look for people who are different from you and dare to step out across your maybe discomfort zone and reach out to them. Um, We would love for you to connect with us at our website. Once again, is www.brooklink.org, or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, Brooklink, and that's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-K. Okay. All right. That's great. Thanks so much for being with us, Lee. We really do appreciate your time and your generosity. Thanks so much, Brian. It's been a joy and a privilege. 
that's all the time that we had with Lee Hayward. I'm really thankful that we were able to do this. It was so wonderful to connect with him. I so appreciated his spirit and what he shared. I thought that the story of what God did in his life that as he took him from pastoral ministry into full-time ministry in another area was amazing. If you're interested in any of the resources that he mentioned and you haven't had a chance to write those down, you can always stop by the show notes. You'll find those at engagingmissions.com slash Lee Hayward or slash 39 is in episode 39. And if you're wanting to share this with a friend or a relative or something, you can always send them the link to that as well. That's one easy way to do that. As Lee mentioned, I do want to go ahead and throw this out there that if you want to connect with him, you can always stop by their website at brooklink.org. There you'll find contact information as well as a lot of the stuff that they've got going on. And they have some amazing things going on. They've also got a presence on a lot of different social media platforms. So if you're interested in SoundCloud or Vimeo or YouTube, you can connect with what they're doing there. That's just another way to find them and to know what's going on. If you liked this episode or any of the other episodes, I would really appreciate it, if you haven't already, if you would go ahead and subscribe in iTunes and then leave a rating and review. That really means a lot. Not only does it help you make sure that you don't miss any of these episodes, but it also helps raise our rating so that other people are more likely to connect with the stories of Lee and the other missionaries that we've interviewed. Um, And if you've never done that before, I do have a really quick link for you at Engaging missions.com slash iTunes. There's a link there, some instructions. I also have a video. It's about two and a half or three minutes long that shows you everything that you need to know. I'm trying to make this as easy as possible because I definitely want you to be able to connect with what's going on. Also, if you would like to leave some feedback, you can always leave me a comment in the show notes, again, at engagingmissions.com slash Lee Hayward, or you can shoot an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And as always, I'm so thankful that you were here, whether this was your first time and you're connected to Lee and you just stopped by to hear his story, or whether you've been connected since the very beginning and you've been subscribed, I really appreciate that you were here. My heart and my prayer is that God would transform your life, that he would reveal his beauty to you, that you would begin to see opportunities to serve him wherever you are, and that you would be more connected to what he's doing in the world all over. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.